What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Down the Line. This is episode number 134, recording our show on Friday, January 5th, just before 2 o'clock on the West Coast, here in the afternoon. I am Kyle Betts, joined by Brev and Honda, as always, as we get into episode 134 of our show. It's not only us today, but once again, we are joined by our good friend of the show, and our special guest here today, Daniel Guerrero, he is the St. Louis Cardinals minor league writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, also covers the major league squad as well. DG, thank you so much for joining us. It's our first episode of 2024, so uh, Happy New Year, and uh, thanks so much for uh, coming back on. Yeah, thank you for the invite. I mean, a Happy New Year to you guys as well, and all the listeners uh i'm always a little bit uh, uh i'm a very nostalgic person so when the holidays end it it's a little bit of a bittersweet moment I, and i realized actually this past year that to me i know like everybody has different like when christmas season starts or when this season starts to me with the end of the holiday season is when the rose bowl ends i feel like for whatever reason the new year's day rose bowl game uh has like a special place and like when it ended you know, a really good game, right? Yeah. I was like, oh, well, I guess that's kind of it. The holidays are over. Um, but yeah, great to uh, uh, be back on the pod and catch up with you guys and uh, talk all things sports. I mean, it's always a fun time. Absolutely, DG. And uh, you're, I, I feel like that is so accurate. You know, New Year's Day is pretty much the end of the holidays. And that's usually the end of it all, too. The Rose Bowl itself is, you know, usually held in the afternoon or evening and uh, th- that's a great way to kind of recap everything is football. We had uh, some great games throughout the holiday season as well. Christmas Day had had some good games in the NFL too. And uh, uh, I-, I think you're totally right, man. It-, it just feels so odd when that kind of ends now, especially uh, when-, when you do consider sports like football. Now we're getting into the, the postseason. We-, we got the national championship that we're going to talk about in just a few minutes here. Um we're going to talk about the NFL uh, postseason outlook, see how the uh, teams are stacking up for that as well. Um, but we're going to start our Fast Five segment here, uh, beginning with the NFL. And we're going to start with New England Patriots head coach Bill Belichick, recently under fire. Uh, he is set to meet with team owner Robert Kraft after the team's Week 18 game. And that meeting is supposed to happen on Monday, according to ESPN's Mike Rice. So the Patriots entered the last week of the regular season with a 4-12 record. That's the worst in the AFC, and also the franchise's worst since 1992. Brevin, you want to you get your thoughts here uh, real quickly on uh, uh, Bill Belichick meeting with Robert Kraft here, Week 18 game. Um, after that is all said and done, uh, that meeting's supposed to happen. What are your thoughts on that meeting, and what are you kind of expecting from it? Yeah, this is going to be a really interesting one because it comes after, you know, obviously you mentioned the 4-12 and record, the worst record in the AFC. They're right now in line. I think it is for the fourth pick, I think it is, in the NFL draft. Uh, obviously entering Week 18, but, um, yeah, a lot's going to happen, you know, whether it's, is this going to be Bill Belichick's final game in a Patriots uniform as the Patriots head coach? Is this going to be um, just another meeting with Robert Kraft? Um, yeah, it'd be interesting, especially with the way the quarterback situation 
um, is in play. And you think about the way we talked uh, a few weeks ago about Bill Belichick possibly being on the hot seat. Well, we're here now, and we talked about how important the quarterback play was, you know, especially during Bill Belichick's tenure with a name like Tom Brady and the Super Bowls that he was able to get and things like that. And now we're at that point where he doesn't have Tom Brady. And, you know, it's kind of sounds like we really don't have that culture that's been set um, in years prior. Yeah, I think you're totally right here, Brevin. Um, It's a big deal when, you know, you have a coach like Bill Belichick when he's done so much for your franchise, head coach since 2000. You really don't want to move on from a guy like that. But, you know, their team cap space right now, uh, sitting at $72 million going into the offseason, I'm sure it's had to be even more as free agency hits as well. Um, so, Brevin, here, I think really what the Patriots need to do is just make a splash. And by doing so, selecting a quarterback in the upcoming NFL draft will put them in a good position to do that because I think the quarterbacks on the roster that they have just aren't really fit, fitting the bill for this franchise. And so, if they do that, add some more weapons on offense, also build the offensive line a little bit. I think they'll be a lot more competitive because their defense, it's pretty stout. Historically, always has been under Belichick. And so I think that's uh, what's going to be important moving forward is just adding a few more key pieces. Um, Eventually, I think they're going to be able to do that since they have the assets. Um, But I think it all comes down to, you know, just selecting a quarterback here in the draft. Is Kraft going to believe in Belichick? I don't know. But if I was Robert Kraft, I would give him another shot here heading into the offseason because I think there's a lot still at the Patriots' disposal and still a lot of potential to really raise the bar and also raise their uh, ceiling and their potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, currently the Patriots have the are slated in the number three uh, spot right now among the 2023-2024 draft order that's heading into Week 18. Obviously, the Cardinals are also 4-12. and They're right behind the Patriots. And the Commanders, they're 4-12, and but ahead of... Uh, the Patriots. So, a lot of teams are playing for different things, whether it's playoff spots, draft spots. Um, yeah, lots in play um, this week for a lot of teams. Absolutely. We're going to see how everything goes here this week, and we'll be sure to update you next week on uh, the draft order as well, because that's going to be a key storyline, like you mentioned, Brevin, here in week 18 of the NFL season. All right. Let's get into number two here of our Fast Five, and we're going to break down the UFC here. And the most recent news we have coming out of uh, that is from Sunday, and it involved Conor McGregor, obviously one of the biggest names in the history of the UFC. He is announcing his return to the ring. That's going to happen on June 29th, and that fight will be against Michael Chandler, and it's going to be an end to his two-year hiatus from MMA after suffering a broken leg in a fight. Yeah, this is going to be kind of exciting to see. We get to see the voiceless Conor McGregor back in the ring, and he kicks it off with a kicks off the new year with this announcement that he's going to be back inside and uh, back inside a UFC ring. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a huge deal as well, because when you think about Conor McGregor, all of the, his accomplishments in his career, I mean, uh, he has 22 wins uh, in his career, 
um, just so much uh, experience under his belt, obviously fighting since 2008. Um, he is going to uh, just fight at, I think, his highest level, um, now making his return at the age of 35. I think this is really, you know, a time where some fighters in the UFC tend to really just find it and, and they really just, uh, you know, kind of just discover the fountain of youth later in their career. I think that's what the opportunity Conor McGregor has to do just because he's been rehabbing for so long. Um, it seems like he has the right mindset coming back from this injury. He knows this is pretty much, you know, one of his last opportunities to really uh, make a deep run and really cement himself um, as, you know, the best, I think, in the UFC. So I think fair play to him. And, and so it's going to be interesting um, to see him back in his first fight um, once again since 2021 facing Dustin Poirier um, at UFC 264. So, that's going to be a lot of fun to see in June. We'll definitely cover that as well when that happens. But now moving on to point number three of our Fast Five. This has been a really interesting topic in the NBA discourse, especially on X. And it involves um, the Detroit Pistons and their NBA record tying losing streak of 28 games. That came to an end on Saturday with a 129 to 127 home win against the Toronto Raptors. So the 28 game losing streak feat was also completed by the Philadelphia 76ers. That was split in the 2014-15 season and also carrying it into the next season as well, which was 2015-16. So the Pistons now, they finished one loss shy of the four major American and Canadian sports record. That was said by the Chicago Cardinals of the NFL during World War II. Trevor, <laughs> you wrote that set down here in a rundown. Um, never thought I would ever be talking about the Chicago Cardinals here on our podcast. Yeah, I had to make sure I noted NFL before we started guessing which team the Cardinals were affiliated with in Chicago uh, for that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was... Um, yeah, I never think I'd seen a day where a team would lose 28 consecutive games um, in any sport. you think at least one game, you know, where they'd at least come back on top, you know, no matter who they were playing. I mean, I know part of that 20-game um, losing streak came against some of the bottom teams in the NBA. The Spurs come to mind. Uh, Washington comes to mind even as well. And so... To see this uh, losing streak really just continue. They haven't, since that win against um, Toronto, they haven't won a game since. So they're pretty much one in, was it now 30 or something like that in the last 31 games. And it's hard to believe that they're already 23 and a half games back of the first place Celtics. And we're not even at Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. Yeah, this team is. Pretty historically bad, Brevin, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they go on another long losing streak just because um, the talent's not really there on, on that roster. I mean, you do have, I think, Kate Cunningham, their standout player, but uh, he, he doesn't really seem to be the first choice at, at times uh, when they need him to be uh, at the end of the games. I think he absolutely should be um, mm-hmm. main selection on that team, but 
uh, yeah, we're, we're going to see how they end up finishing here uh, over the course of the season and ultimately how many wins they put together. Who knows? Yeah. The worst NBA uh, season of all time came the came during the 2011-12 season when the Charlotte Bobcats uh, went 7-59. and 59. That was obviously the shortened year. Um, most losses in an NBA season was 73 by the Philadelphia 76ers in 72-73. Oh um, so yeah, just a couple of records to watch out for as we have turned the calendar now to 2024. Yeah, not good records there for the Detroit Pistons. Um, hopefully, they they find a way to start to win some more ball games here, Brevin. But uh, as of now, not looking like that's going to be the case. <laughs> we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, let's move on to number four here: the PGA Tour's first event of its return to a calendar year schedule begins this week in Hawaii for the Century at Cap. Kapalua on Lahaina on the island of Maui. All the PGA Tour winners and remaining top 50 players from the FedEx Cup playoffs and eligibility points list who are in good standing with the PGA Tour will be on hand. So that comes out to 21 of the top 25 and 38 of the top 50 ranked players in the world competing in the season opener. Revan, do we have an update on how things are going on in that right now? Yeah, right now we're seeing the morning waves start to make their way towards the final round of holes, or final couple of holes here in this second round. Brendan Todd has shot, uh, there are four players who've shot um, a second round best eight under. Um, Brendan Todd, Tyrell Hatton, and Matt Fitzpatrick, they've all shot eight under and take out the top three spots. Brendan Todd's up to 14 under. Tyrell Hatton's 12 under with Matthew Fitzpatrick. Akshay Bahia's down there at 11 under, tied for seventh. Um, also tied for t- uh, second, you got Chris Kirk and Sung J in tied for second with Sahith Tagala, um, who's right now three under through 10. Scotty Scheffler, who is, uh, recently named the PGA Tour Player of the Year, uh, is right now four under through nine and 11 under for the tournament. Also at 11 under, you get Colin Morikawa, uh, Jason Day, uh, and Jordan Spieth. They're both at 10 under with Victor Hovland. Um, Xander Shoffley, 2 under through 8 at 9 under par. So just finishing up that ninth hole and ready to make the turn on to the back nine. Good to hear for Xander. Hopefully he finishes strong as well. The former Aztec, just like all of us here on this episode. Uh, we'll be sure to let you know what happens uh, in our episode next week on the winner and the top finishers as well. So now moving on to number five, Fast Five. Let's get into the college football playoff semifinals. Earlier, uh, DG was talking about the Rose Bowl, and we had that wrap up uh, on, um, what was it, Monday afternoon? That was uh, New Year's Day, obviously. We had number one Michigan take on number four Alabama. And ultimately, it was the Wolverines who ended up pulling off an overtime victory, 27-20. to 20. Alabama did have an opportunity, but um, some controversy on the play call on fourth down when they were in the red zone. Um, so that, that was a huge result there. 
Moving on to the Sugar Bowl, the All-State Sugar Bowl, we had number two, Washington, takedown number three, Texas, 37-31. That also ended up being a game that was closer than it really needed to be. But uh, UW comes out on top, and so it's going to be a great showdown between the uh, Washington Huskies and the Michigan Wolverines in the national championship game. Uh, We'll start with you, DG. What did you think of the semifinal games, and also what's your prediction for the national champion? Um, semifinal games are really good. I mean, uh, you look obviously the overtime game and the Rose Bowl, uh, the Sugar Bowl. I mean, I thought that one was going to be a little bit wider of a of a margin of victory for Washington, and then obviously Texas is able to make a stand and get that ball back at the end. Uh, obviously, an exciting way to end that game, but. Uh man, the when you look, it's it's kind of poetic that you have uh, the last Pac-12 team uh, facing against the Big uh, Big Ten champion uh, in the national championship game. Obviously, Washington's going to be a part of the Big Ten next year. Uh, but I mean, I'm I'm expecting an exciting game. It, it'll be cool to see Michael Penix Jr. on the big stage. Uh, somebody who obviously can boost their stock immensely if he plays well. Uh, and yeah, you just look at uh, with Michigan and. A lot of the storylines there with Jim Harbaugh and kind of what what his future holds. Uh, obviously, to see Michigan get back to the big game is, is huge in that sense. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm expecting just uh, an overall uh, really good game. I mean, a good defense against a quarterback who you know could have been a Heisman winner. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be an exciting one to watch. Fully agree with that. Uh, Brevin, what did you think of these semifinal games? And, and ultimately, uh, who do you think is going to win it all? Yeah, I thought um, with that first game, also you mentioned that controversial play, just the QB, QB draw up the middle. I thought you know, they were going to throw it to one of their receivers, maybe the running back in the flat, you know, from four yards out. And then... Just when you think about that final play between Washington and Texas, you just see the defense um, just come up with um, the big swat, kind of like how we saw uh, Cooper Cup did earlier in the NFL season with his uh, swat uh, for the football and that onside kick against Washington. Um, kind of did the same thing there. So um, it's just two guys being smart there um, on the ball. Now, when it comes to Monday's game between Washington and Michigan, how fitting it would be in the final game in Pac-12 history that they get a they get they get a national championship. Oh, entirely fitting. I mean, I mean, <laughs> people are even making jokes about uh that uh the the college football committee made a or playoff committee made a mistake of putting the Pac-12 team uh the night game, you know, another Pac-12 after dark. Hey, the conference it lives to see another day. That's all I thought when when Washington won. Um. I mean, what, because we've only had one Pac-12 team get to the national championship game? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. In the first CFP national championship game. Um, I mean, that'd be very fitting. And then obviously Washington's not a school that uh, you think traditionally of, you know, blue blood of college football um, for them to go up against a big Michigan team like this and, uh, you know, make a statement, you know. Uh, obviously they're joining the Big Ten next year. There's a lot of question marks of, how those new teams are going to adapt to playing uh, an entirely different region of football. I mean, here's your chance to go ahead and do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this is a huge opportunity for Washington, like you said, because like who knows the next time 
they're going to be in an opportunity to be in the national championship. Like they're not that perennial, you know, playoff team per se, but uh, here they are now. And so I think this is their opportunity. And if it were up to me, I, I, I want them to win personally. Um, but I, I think Michigan, man, just so tough, just overall, I think a little bit more talented with just the, the pure athleticism on the roster and just the overall, overall football talent. Um, so it's going to be tough, but yeah, I'm rooting for Michael Penix. I, I hope he has a great game. And DG, I think you bring up a great point. Like this is a chance to really solidify himself as maybe even a top 10 pick, maybe even top six or seven at this point, because uh, I, I think a lot of talk right now kind of have has him in the middle of the first round. But man, this is really his opportunity to uh, go make a name for himself even more so as a national champion if he ultimately does pull it off. So, yeah, we'll see We'll see what happens in this game. I think it's going to be a good one. All right, we're going to stick with some football here, but uh, go back to talking about the NFL a little bit. And one of our most recent stories that we had this week involved Dalvin Cook, no longer on the Jets. He was released from the team on Tuesday. So the Baltimore Ravens go ahead yesterday, and they signed him to their roster. Uh, that he's on their practice squad, uh, probably going to be elevated, if not this week, probably at some point for the playoffs, give them a chance to contribute in some way. Uh, right now, I believe their, their running backs are Gus Edwards, Justice Hill, and I think Melvin Gordon. That sounds about right. Uh huh. So that last name, man, just geez, Melvin Gordon. Triggering, triggering both of us right now. All me, three of us, man. Yeah. <laughs> That was well. Yep. Yep. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> that's who they have right now. Dalvin Cook set to probably join their postseason roster. I mean, he's a man with postseason experience, and I don't know if he's going to end up being the number one option out of that backfield when he gets, you know, accustomed to that offense in the playoffs. But DG, what what do you think about this move here? Um, I mean, I I, I was very I mean. At the start of the season, I was really interested to see how that Jets backfield was going to shape up. Um, obviously, the Aaron Rodgers uh, season-ending season injury throws a wrench into the whole process. But, I mean, I, I really enjoyed watching Brees Hall flourish into the type of player that he is. I mean, been a, a very exciting player. Obviously, somebody who, uh, you know, running backs are one of those positions that seems like they don't get enough credit. Uh in terms of like their value within a franchise, but I mean, he, you look at him and him and Garrett Wilson are certainly guys that you can build around with the Jets. I mean, so seeing Dalvin Cook uh, get another opportunity for a, a Ravens team that desperately needs another running back, uh, and it's crazy. I mean, it seems like man, at least every year since like 2020, we've had that those question marks with the Ravens running backs, right? Where uh, Somebody goes down, you know, this year with J.K. Dobbins with that unfortunate Achilles injury. Uh, obviously, uh, um, Gus Edwards was big for them for a while. Uh, I mean, you even look at, like, in the past years. Remember Jermichael Hasty? Everybody was really high on him when yeah. he stepped into that starting role uh, because of injury as well. But, but I mean, yeah, I mean, Dalvin, I mean, Dalvin Cook's an experienced running back in the NFL. Uh, obviously, somebody you can trust in the backfield. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they deploy him and kind of bring him into that mix. Uh, obviously, the, the positive is that, um, you know, they're picking up somebody who's active in the league and has been getting 
normal like has been playing instead of as opposed to somebody who uh you know like they like to say like who's just hanging out on the couch uh so i think i think you get a better sense of uh just kind of where he's at with like uh i guess like fitness level and stuff like that and kind of workload and what he can manage so um obviously he'll get another extra week to to kind of get into the fold and learn the system uh because of the ravens clinching that that number one seed in the afc so Um, I, I think it's a solid pickup, a reliable, proven NFL running back uh, to a team that can be very dangerous uh, once the playoffs begin. Yeah, I think that's a great assessment there. Absolutely. Uh, Brevin, uh, I, one point that I thought was kind of interesting was Dalvin Cook, you know, signing with the Jets. He got like $6 million from that. Didn't really didn't really have to play much or, or do anything at all. And uh, now he's uh, on a team with the opportunity to win a Super Bowl. Pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. I mean, you think about all the volume that he got um, with the Vikings and – He had at least 250 carries in each of the last four years in a Vikings uniform. Yeah. This year with the Jets, just get 67. And it was kind of like, okay, he saw this all this RB1 production. Um, you know, obviously with Brees Hall there, you kind of going into the year, is just how is that going to volume be separated? I mean, I think just four years ago in 2020, he had 16 touchdowns, followed that in 2019 with 13. And so it was kind of figuring out how he was going to get it done, um, you know, in an in a, in a entirely different system. Absolutely. So we'll see how he does in the playoffs with the Ravens. Um, some other NFL uh, news that we had go on this week were Pro Bowl rosters unveiled on Wednesday. Um, I'll read just down the starters here quickly. We got two attack of Iloa starting uh, for the AFC. Raheem Mostert, his teammate out of the backfield, also a starter. Alec Ingold, also teammates of those two in the backfield. Tyreek Hill, also teammates of all three of those guys, is their wide receiver. And you also got Amari Cooper, who is starting. He's obviously from the Browns. Uh, starting tight end is Travis Kelsey of the Chiefs. Uh, tackles that are starting are Laramie Tunsil and Deion Dawkins respectfully, from the Texans and the Bills. You got Quinton Nelson from the Colts, Joel Betonio from the Browns, starting at guard. At center, you got Creed Humphrey from the Chiefs, and also uh, from the Chiefs at defensive tackle, you got Chris Jones. Other starter is Quinton Williams of the Jets. The Browns, Miles Garrett, and the Raiders, Max Crosby, are your two starting defensive ends. You got Rokon Smith is your starting inside linebacker. T.J. Watt and Cleo Mack are your starting edge rushers. Starting corners are Pat Sertan and Sauce Gardner. Free safety uh, starter is Justin Simmons. You got Kyle Hamilton as your starting strong safety. A.J. Cole is your starting punter. Justin Kicker is your starting, uh, I should say, punter. Uh, Justin Tucker is your starting kicker. You got uh, Ross Matchick is your long snapper. Marvin Mims Jr. from the Broncos is your return specialist. And Miles Kilgrew is your special teams player. So that's the AFC. Um, from the NFC, you got Brock Purdy, your NFC starter. You got Christian McCaffrey also starting. Kyle Juszczyk in that backfield, also a starter. Pretty interesting. You got Dolphins backfields and 49ers backfields uh, representing the AFC and the NFC, respectively, as your starters. Uh, I don't know if that's ever happened before. 
You got C.D. Lamb from the Cowboys, A.J. Brown from the Eagles, your starting wide receivers. George Kittle, Trent Williams are your starters from the 49ers. You got Lane Johnson also a starting tackle. Zach Martin and Chris Lindstrom are your guards. Jason Kelsey is your center. Aaron Donald and Dexter Lawrence, your starting defensive tackles. Your edge rushers, you got Montez Sweat and Nick Bosa. Fred Warner is your starting inside linebacker. You also have Micah Parsons and Daniil Hunter on the outside. Starting corners are Dayron Blanche, Arvarius Ward, Jesse Bates, Buda Baker, your starting safeties. And for your special teams, you got Brian Inger as your punter, Brandon Aubrey as your kicker, so a Cowboys tandem there for special teams. You got uh, Andrew DePaula as your long snapper. Rashid Shaheed is your starting return specialist. And your special team player of the year is Jalen Reeves-Mabin. So a lot of names I just read off there, but uh, those are your starting uh, Pro Bowl rosters. Brevin, do you uh, have any immediate snubs from the Elisa starters? Uh, yeah, there's two that stand out, or that weren't even reserves. Mm-hmm. Um, one that wasn't even a res- reserve was Josh Allen from the Bills. Because your reserves are Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. And then NFC, um, I'm going to go Amon Ross St. Brown here from the uh, Detroit Lions with, uh, you mentioned A.J. Brown and C.D. Lamb, uh, and the two reserves being Mike Evans and Puka Nakua. Yeah, I think those are fair names there. Uh, G, I don't know if you have any um, snubs per se, but after I, I read those names, did any of those kind of stand out to you as, you know, most deserving of, of being a Pro Bowl starter? Uh, I might go straight away from the, the snubs thing. I do have a question. How do we decide who is a Pro Bowl long snapper? I'm I'm being I'm being honest. <laughs> like I'm being seriously honest. I have no idea. Um I'm looking at a uh USA Today story. Mm-hmm. Of, um these these Pro Bowl rosters and Andrew DePaula, he's uh-huh. tight end, long snapper, number forty two on the Vikings. He is thirty seven years old, so uh, he's a nine year veteran, undrafted, and uh, played at Rutgers. I guess ultimately earned a spot, and I guess that that goes to show even thirty seven year old long snappers can still be uh, among the quote unquote best in the league. Yeah, no, I mean, I just long snapping such a funny, uh, such a funny position, like funny role on the team, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like one thing that's overlooked, but obviously, like if he gets hurt, like it's obviously going to be a mess. Whoever tries to step in, um, but yeah, but when it comes to the uh, the snubs conversation, I know T.J. Hawkinson uh, obviously went down unfortunately with an injury, yeah. but uh, like to for him to not at least get that recognition and then have like that injury like fill in. Obviously, replace him. It, it seemed disappointing. I mean, he obviously had a huge year, uh, and especially with Justin Jefferson out for so long for the Vikings, uh, especially playing with that QB carousel in Minnesota. Uh, to see the year that he put up uh, from the tight end spot, I mean, seems like it, it deserves some recognition. I mean, even even though he you know went down with that injury a couple weeks ago. Absolutely, yeah, totally agree with that. Uh, he had such a big difference and and made that made that difference on the mm-hmm. Vikings roster this year and especially their offense. Um, 
when, when you think about when Justin Jefferson went down, he stepped up big time. So absolutely right. Great points there, guys. As that leads us now to our week 17, three up, three down. And we're going to, I'm going to kick things off here with our three up. And that's going to start with the Los Angeles Rams. How about this team? Uh, just so, uh, just kind of overlooked during the off season. Uh, I guess you could even say written off, if you will, but they are in the playoffs. They have clinched a wild card spot, nine and seven overall record for the season, coming off a big 26 25 win over the Giants on New Year's Eve. Matthew Stafford, pretty good game for the most part, 317 yards. He had a, uh, one touchdown. Uh, he did throw two picks, but um, that leads us now to DG, your first selection for. You're three up, and I'll just leave it to you because he he's basically the reason why the Rams won this game. Yeah, I mean the Rams this year. I mean, I, I mean, especially looking at this from a fantasy perspective, man, they've had a they've had a couple of stars on their team, uh, but Kyron Williams is definitely has is a th- one of the the three ups. Uh, for I mean, for obviously this past week, but for this entire year, I mean, you look at what he's done for that for that offense, rush for over a thousand yards. Uh, has just been a reliable kind of that workhorse, like bell cow back. I, I always like using that term. It's always kind of a, uh, uh, I mean, when when you look at the workload he handles when healthy, when you look at what he's done despite the injuries, I mean, rushing for over a thousand yards and missing five games, uh, obviously one of the, the top five leading rushers in the NFL, uh, despite missing time because of injury, um, man, he's been, uh, Man, he he's just he's just been electric all over the field. And you look at, I mean, the the roster moves that they made for him to be in that role. I mean, obviously Cam Akers was kind of a guy who you looked at as uh, obviously returning back from injury, possibly assuming that role again. And Kyron Williams just steps up and kind of leaves no doubts of of who should be the Rams' lead back. Obviously, when when the playoffs begin, uh, see how they deploy him as well and see uh how much more of a workload he handles against uh whoever they match up with in, in the uh in that wild card round. Absolutely. Brevin, you wanna uh give your uh, first three up selection? Yeah, before I do, to reiterate on the Rams, we talk about teams playing playing well at the right time. This is a Rams team that's won six of seven since their week ten bye. And you know, we talked about, you mentioned Kyron Williams, all the young pieces that this Rams team have. You know, they've really stepped up when they've kind of had to this entire season. You know, we think about Puka Nakua, the opportunities he's had. Um, you know, even on defense, Byron Young, Kobe Turner uh, wrote a piece on Sports Not, well, really, LA Football Network, about uh, Kobe Turner's case for defensive play, uh, rookie of the year. Um so yeah, this Rams team has done really well. Kyron Williams finishing as the RB five in PPR. So, um, yeah, just to add on, yeah, good pick there with the Rams and Kyron Williams for me. I'm gonna kick things off. Another team out west. I'm gonna go Antonio Pierce and just the job that he's done in Las Vegas and being able to set the tone since he's taken over um, that job in Las Vegas uh, in the interim. You know this team. Was I think three and five? I think it was or three and six when they let go of Josh McDaniels and and this was a Raiders team that could have been, um, you know where you know we could see where the Commanders are where they're four and twelve. 
you know, almost seven straight. But this is a team that just continue to fight. Obviously, it helps that Antonio Pierce is, was a Raider fan and knew knew what Raider football was like. So, and what he's also been able to do is he's able to get players to buy in. And I think when we get to this off season, I think he's definitely going to be a name that's in the pot for the head coaching position uh, when that gets selected um, this off season. That's a great selection there. Um, for my second point, I'm going to choose the Chicago Bears and how they're doing, but also where they're at right now for their projected uh, pick in the upcoming NFL draft. Um, right now, they do have the first overall pick. That's through the DJ Moore trade, of course. Uh, the Panthers, who are 2-14. and 14. So uh, the Bears do have that. They have that locked in. And also, right now, despite the Bears kind of surging with a 7-9 and nine overall record, they do play the Packers in Week 18, so we'll see how they do there. But uh, despite having, you know, a 7-9 overall record to this point, they still have the 10th overall pick right now in the upcoming draft. We're going to see where they end up after this weekend. But, you know, either way, they're going to end up with a pretty nice, I think, selection here in the upcoming draft either way. For for the first round, they're going to score a guy probably within the, you know, the, the top 13 at worst. So it, it's going to be interesting to see what they ultimately do with those. But I think the Bears really stand out to me right now. All right, DG, you want to go ahead and yeah. give the next point? For uh, my second point, I mean, I'll keep it in line with Brevin when it comes to uh, coaching, head coaching specifically. Uh, uh, I mean, when it comes to three up, I mean, the Harbaugh family right now, man, they have to be on cloud nine with everything going on there. I mean, you look at uh, John Harbaugh in the NFL – Clinching a one seed with the Ravens, I mean, long-time coach there. Been kind of like a model of consistency in the league. Uh, I think, I mean, with with how consistent just the Ravens have been under him. Uh, and then you look at, you know, Jim Harbaugh in college football and taking Michigan to the uh, to the Rose Bowl and winning that game. Uh, now going to be coaching the college football playoff national championship game. I mean, the, you know, that saying that they have, that who has it better than us, nobody, like that. Like that, that's got to be the Harbaugh family right now, uh, yeah. and and you know as I mentioned before, there's obviously that those storylines right of you know where Jim Harbaugh is going to end up next year, um, but I mean right now when you look at people who are on the, uh, you know kind of catapulted into the stratosphere of like sports success, I mean the Harbaugh brothers uh, and family in general, I mean they're kind of at at the peak right now of of coaching at, at both levels. Absolutely. No doubt about that. All right, Brian. Yeah. Second pick here. I mean, Cleveland Browns, you know, with we, Daniel talked about earlier about the coach, the quarterback carousel that's gone on in Minnesota. Cleveland has also been dealing with that of its own quarterback carousel, but, but in an opposite way, the Vikings, the Browns have actually taken advantage of that and found ways to win, they've already clinched the number five seed, eleven and five record in a year where they've gone through four quarterbacks and ended up with a former Super Bowl MVP and Joe Flacco as their quarterback. And um, you know, this has just been a team that's just found ways to win, have won each of their last four games, um, as well as seven of their last nine. Um, that includes beating the Ravens. Uh, in Baltimore earlier in the year, that includes um, 
beating potential playoff teams uh, like the Jags and like the Texans as well. And so, um, yeah, it's just the we think about the NFL and just sports in general as the next man up mentality, and the Browns have just lived up to that um, as the season's gone along, and they've earned um, everything that what they've got uh, with this playoff spot and and that number five seed going into the playoffs. Definitely. All right, my last uh, three-up pick here is going to be Travis Etienne because he had a huge game uh, last week. It was a massive, not only game for himself, but for for many people who had him in fantasy. That includes myself. 16 carries, 102 yards, two touchdowns. He also had two catches for 16 yards. Almost 26 points hit for him in a shutout win for the Jags over the Carolina Panthers. And, uh, yeah, it, it was a massive performance uh, that propelled me to a win in my Dynasty League. Um, well, we'll talk about our league here coming up later. But, yeah, I, I think that was that was huge for a lot of people and uh, a good game for him and especially the Jaguars to get some momentum heading forward. All right, DG. Uh, going off the uh, little bit of a, well, I guess it's not really the beaten path. I mean, I feel like I, I guess hockey is not much of my nature, even though I'm from Anaheim. Yeah. Uh, but my three up, uh, last candidate has to be Lucas Dostal. Uh, he's not a no name goaltender in the NFL, uh, according to the Toronto Sun, uh, who used no name as kind of the guy who stifled, uh, I guess, the Lightning, even though the Lightning won. Um, but yeah, I mean. Lucas Dostal, rookie goaltender. He, I know he was uh, uh, October's Rookie of the Month in the NHL and goes out the other day, uh, collects 55 saves, a, fr- a Ducks franchise record uh, against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, Ducks ended up losing. I know Austin Matthews, who uh, one of the stars of the NHL and also, you know, Mexican legend uh, with him being half Mexican. Um Gave Tampa Bay the win, but I mean, 55 saves from a rookie goaltender um, against the Lightning. I mean, man, you got to, uh, I think the term is like he stood on his head or, you know, yeah, that, that saying in hockey. Um, but I mean, yeah, when you look at kind of what the Ducks have going on right now, it's not very exciting times going at, going on at the pond. But uh, when you see a performance like this, that's literally a, a team record. Uh, I mean, man, you catches your attention it's it's very impressive and you know hats off to to the young man for for his performance the other night absolutely great pick, mm-hmm. Revan. yeah uh that news from luke is also coming out as the nhl uh first 32 players for their all-star game came out yesterday uh the final 12 coming via the fan vote uh as a side note for our hockey listeners um, but I'm going to conclude our three up with the meaningful game setting into the final week of the NFL season. Obviously, we got the primetime games tomorrow with the Steelers and the Ravens. Um, as the Ravens close out that number one seed, which you already have, you get the Texans and the Colts, um, you know, part of a AFC South battle with the Jaguars. You get the NFC South that's in play. Um, like I mentioned earlier, the draft picks that are the draft slots that are in play um, this week, win or lose. I mean, we think about last year how um, 
the number one, or the top seed was affected because of the Texans winning on a two point conversion last year. Um, yeah, there's so much to play for this week. Um, and because um, all the games this week in the NFL are against uh, each other within the division, you're going to see the division rivals um, this week in the NFL. You got Broncos Riders, for example, Chiefs Chargers, Falcons Saints, as mentioned for that NFC South. Uh, Bears Packers, like you mentioned. Um, yeah, Eagles Giants. On top of all the playoff implications, should be another wild week. Uh, in the NFL. Yeah, almost like a rivalry uh, week for sure in the NFL. All right, let's move on to our, our three down, and I'll kick things off here with AJ Brown. Um, yeah, Eagles offense not not look good recently, and uh, AJ Brown. Uh, not the uh, most desirable performance for anyone, uh, really, over the course of the last three weeks, but especially last week against the Arizona Cardinals, in which the Cardinals put together a huge game. Uh, A.J. Brown in this one, uh, just five targets, four catches, 53 yards. So uh, less than 10 points in fantasy for only the third time this season, and uh, just not the performance that uh, my team needed. We'll touch on that later, but yeah, AJ Brown uh, makes my three down here just because hasn't looked like himself recently. It's okay, Kyle. He'll get more volume here in week eighteen because Devontae Smith is out. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> of course. All right, DG, you want to go up next? Yeah. Uh, this one, it does kind of pain me to to put on this list. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm not a, I don't really consider myself a Chargers fan anymore, but um, Austin Eckler has always seemed like a pretty cool guy, uh, somebody who's vocal about uh, the positivity that fantasy football brings on the NFL and just fans in general. And he's always been open about talking about that. And, man, for seeing where he was, like, ADP-wise and – just how how uh how high he was taken up on drafts this on draft boards this year and to see the year he had that I mean that was a it's just been a disappointment. Yeah. Um, obviously he dealt with some injury. Uh, obviously the Chargers were very very well below expectations this year. Um, and to see him struggle and to uh kind of limp to the finish line in terms of like a fantasy perspective as well as as just like a uh, a real football perspective uh, based on, you know, the expectations that, you know, we had for Austin Eckler and we had for the Chargers in general. I mean, it's it's a little bit of a letdown. Um, mm-hmm. Seems like a good guy. And obviously you hope he he's one that is like a bounce back candidate heading into next year where with whichever team that may be. I mean, obviously there's some question marks surrounding his uh, uh, long-term status with the Chargers. Um, but yeah, Austin Eckler makes the, the three down list just based on a, uh, the disappointing year he had, especially for uh, for fantasy football and, and for the Chargers in general. That's a great pick. Uh, Brevin? Yeah. Um, I'm going to kick things off here. The way the refs we've seen this year in the NFL has not gone, I think, the way we expected. And especially when it comes to these primetime games. And when we think about that Detroit-Dallas game in terms of having a lineman report as a tight end. I think it's more of, I guess, we saw from the 
cool report from the refs after the game. Um, I can't remember who the ref was. I think it was Adam something. Um, but he said number 70 reported. And when you go look back at uh, footage after the game where we see whether it's Jared Goff being mic'd up or it's, um, you know, talking to the players post game, he said Jared Goff told number 60 to go report. And so that's what number 68 did, walked from the huddle to the to the referee and and then calls number 70 for reporting. You know, even though he reported, even though number 70 reported earlier in the game, I think it's one of those things where you just can't assume what's going to happen. And it's kind of just paying attention um, you know, especially as a referee to everything that's happening, especially, um, as you get into the final minutes, because it turns out that that, that, that moment, um, affected the outcome in the Dallas Detroit game and possibly for Dallas, a number two seed in the playoffs. Absolutely. That's also a great pick there. Uh, for my second selection, I'm going to go with the Bengals, um, so the Denver Broncos needed the Bengals to beat the Chiefs to remain alive in the AFC West. The, the, the odds were low, right? But I was, I was just thinking, all right, Bengals, we, we got a shot here. They go up uh, and put 17 on the board in the first half. Great, great first half against the Kansas City Chiefs, especially on the road. Second half, shut out by the Chiefs. And uh, the Chiefs win because they kicked – I believe it was, what, six field goals in that game? Harrison Bucker went six for six. Final score, 25 to 17. Um, Bengals, uh, you know, their playoff chances now dead. And uh, also uh, the Chiefs clinched the AFC West once again because of that. And so that's why the Bengals are on my three down. <laughs> Brevin, we'll go on, on to you uh next if you want if you want to kick things off. Yeah. Um yeah, one of the tough things that we saw this week in terms of sports news was uh Tyree Kill and his house catching on fire and uh the outcome coming because a child lit a cigarette lighter that sparked that fire. We don't know if that child is related to Tyree Kill, nor nor do we know the age of that child yet, but it's just tough to see especially when you think about um Tyree Kill the role that he plays on the Dolphins team going into a game that like what we're going to see on Sunday night the final game of the regular season that determines um a division spot um and who's going to have home field going into the playoffs with um who's going to have that best seed going into the wild card the number two seed between Tyree kills Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills in the AFC um, with that top seed yet in the, the bye. So it's, um, it's tough to hear about. Um, and hopefully that Tyree kills able to mentally get away from that uh, once kickoff begins. All right, DG. Yeah, I'm going from the, uh, the gridiron to the diamond now. Uh, well, I guess more so the front office because uh, what are the Chicago Cubs doing? I mean, uh, <laughs> You look at, I mean, you look at a, a kind of the outlook they had this past season, right? They were still in the mix for a playoff spot for one of those wild card uh, spots towards the end of the year. They obviously missed the playoffs. They began their uh, their off season by 
you know, firing David Ross and hiring uh, or bringing in a, a Craig Council to manage them uh, to the lar- and signing him to the largest managerial contract in MLB history. Uh, and you look at some of the projected landing spots, right? I mean, they were reportedly in the mix for Shohei Otani. Uh, they were reportedly, uh, you know, we're going to, you know, make a splash this year. And really, I mean, it's, what is it, January 5th, and they've yet to sign somebody to a major league deal. Handed out a few minor league contracts, claimed a couple players off of waivers. Um, but, I mean, when you look at uh, this Cubs team and kind of the outlook going into this year, I mean, great. I think they did. I mean, David Ross was a good manager. I think they upgraded with getting Craig Council, who's obviously done a great job with the Brewers. And uh, But, I mean, when it comes to on-field and uh, player acquisitions, I mean, there hasn't been really anything notable going on with the Cubs. So, I mean, it makes you kind of wonder what uh, what direction they're going in and uh, kind of the how they'll pivot as we get closer to spring training and, and trying to shore up some holes on that on that team. I mean, because they're essentially, I mean, uh, Marcus Stroman's free agent. I mean, Cody Bellinger's free agent. You look at kind of the, the holes they have to fill, um, and you know, you don't get the sense that that they're trying to, you know, make any moves immediately to to shore up those those openings. Yeah. Totally agree. All right. I'm gonna end my free down here with the Seahawks. And uh another frustrating game here from Seattle. Uh they're they're good they go down 17-14 by halftime, was just unable to find the end zone enough to keep up. <laughs> Steelers of Pittsburgh in this game. Pivotal game for both teams with the Steelers take it on the road 30 to 23. And uh the Seahawks, um, you know, at the at this point of their season, um that that was pretty much it. Because when you think about the position that they're in, um must win uh here moving forward. Um but but obviously uh so so much to happen this weekend as well. But I think that was a pivotal game for them. Um, And so I think for that reason, the Seahawks just really needed it, just weren't able to put a win together. All right, Brevin. All right. Um, Three down. Kind of teased this during our three up, but I'm going to go with Minnesota. And kind of like the way that we've seen Cleveland do really well with their carousel of quarterbacks minnesota really minnesota hasn't really done that lost three straight went from having the control of that number six spot in the nfc wild card to on the backside looking in and now they're i think they've been eliminated or they're on the verge of being eliminated they need a lot to happen to reach the postseason um going into this final week yeah, they need a lot to happen. Uh, still behind New Orleans and Seattle, even before talking about yeah. uh, getting to Green Bay. Yeah, Seattle and Minnesota, both teams that need a lot of help, for sure. DG, you want to go ahead and wrap it up? Yeah, uh, one of the three downs, I mean, it, to me, was a kind of a down, was the Chiefs' position players from a fantasy perspective. Um, I mean, just going based off of uh, our league with our scoring system. I mean, Travis Kelsey was the second top scoring tight end, so I mean, he had a, he had a good year. I mean, it still felt kind of like a down year based on like his standards and kind of the expectations that um 
like there are of, of him and being one, you know, one of, if not the best tight end in the NFL. Um, but I mean, man, you look at kind of the rest of this team. I mean, Patrick Mahomes still finishing the top 10 in quarterbacks uh, for scoring, but I mean, still felt like one of those years where uh, yeah, he kind of had some duds in, in big games that, uh, that you just didn't, that you just don't normally see from him. Um, Isaiah Pacheco was probably, probably the, the biggest uh, leaper in terms of, of fantasy players for them. I mean, yeah. finished within the top 15 of, of running backs, but I mean, you look at that receiving core um, outside of uh, Rasheed Rice. I mean, you, you don't really have anybody who you could rely on. I mean, even Rasheed Rice, it wasn't until down the stretch where he got more involved. Um, but I mean, yeah, it seems like, you know, this team that, you know, has a generational tight end and a generational quarterback uh, and one of the sharpest offensive minds uh, as far as head coaching goes. Um, it, it didn't feel like there was a whole lot of consistency you could lean on uh, within uh, the Chiefs kind of roster when, when it comes to fantasy outlook. I mean, outside of a, a handful or not even a handful, but maybe a trio of players, uh, there really was it, was it was kind of slim pickings for a team that is usually like an offensive and fantasy juggernaut. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. So that leads us now to our week 18 top games and, we're going to cover the AFC South here. We've got the Jaguars, the Texans, and the Colts all tied at 9-7 overall. Heading into Week 18, it could not be more dramatic than this. you got the Texans at the Colts in Indianapolis. That game on Saturday night at 5-15. Jags facing the Titans in Tennessee. That game Sunday for uh, one of the morning games there. That's going to be at 10 a.m. So, guys... Man, a couple big games here this weekend. Uh, Texans at Colts appears to be the biggest of them all because it, it's a must-win for both teams. Uh, I'm going to make my selection here first. Um, man, I'll tell you what. It, it's tough to imagine uh, first-year head coaches making it to the, the postseason at all, but that's the matchup we have here, and the winner moves forward. Um, with that being said, Man, this is a tough call, but I'm going to go with Houston. I think they're going to ride the momentum that they've been having all season long when C.J. Stroud is in the lineup. Um, When he's not a part of that, we see how that team has performed, but he's been the difference maker all year long, and I think uh, he's a big-time player. He's going to have to play well in this game. So I got the Texans in that one. Also, I have the Jaguars winning on the road. I think they're going to be able to do enough to win against this Titans team. Ryan Tannehill getting a start, probably his last in a Titans uniform. So we'll see how that plays out. But um, I think if the Jags rely on Travis Etienne like they did last game, I think good things will happen. All right, DG, who do you got in both of these these games? Yeah, you know, I'm pretty much with you. I, I do like this Texans core of players um, with C.J. Stroud, and I, I do like Nico Collins as a wide receiver. Um it's unfortunate to see Tank Dell go down for the year with, with what he was having. Um, but, I mean, when you look at turnarounds and you look at what D'Amico Ryans has done since uh, becoming the head coach for Houston this year, I mean, man, I mean, it's 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 it's, an, it's a very impressive job with the rookie quarterback, rookie head coach, um, rookie, you know, one of the top rookie receivers on the team to be able to, to be in the hunt uh, up until the final week and have a chance to, yeah, to win that division, I mean, it's 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 
it, it would be a job very well done. Um, and then I, I would like to see them get in that way. Uh, when it comes to the other game, yeah, I mean, if Travis Etienne is one of those kind of game breaker type players, uh, the Titans just never felt like they had an identity all year long. Um, obviously with the changes at quarterback, uh, now, I mean, obviously there are the team with Derrick Henry that was going to, you know, shove the ball down your throat and just run you over. And it, it just doesn't ha- kind of have that aura anymore. Um, obviously he's kind of splitting, uh, not splitting, but, uh, still has a majority share of the workload, but obviously, uh, um, you know, there's another running back in the mix, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I think Jaguars can pull out this win, uh, you know, with the right game plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think the Jags beat the Titans, the Jags team, five and two on the road this season compared to just four and five at home. So I think they take advantage of that. And if the Jaguars win, um, obviously they're going to already know what's going to happen with that Texans Colts game, but Jaguars win, they win the division. And, uh, um, when you think about that Texans Colts game, um, Whoever wins that game um is gonna at least get a playoff berth. Right. Um so you know, do you take the Colts at home, they're five hundred at home, or do you take the Texans, they're three and four on the road? I think that's what's in play here. I think that's what's gonna be most up for grabs. Um and how you figure out who's gonna win this game. But I would lean kinda with you guys and go Houston. I think if D'Amico Bryant can get this win He's got to be up for coach of the year, you would think, with a win like that. And definitely among one of the nominees, especially in the AFC, obviously you probably put John Harbaugh in that mix. Maybe Kevin Stefanski's in that mix. Um, Yeah, probably. I think I go Jags and Texans, which means the Jags would win the division and the Texans would clinch up a playoff spot. Yeah, so we all agree in unison there. Mm-hmm. NFC South now. Uh, we got the Buccaneers, uh, the New Orleans Saints at eight and eight. Both of those teams uh, also uh, vying for playoff positions in the NFC. Also, you have the Atlanta Falcons seven and nine. Technically, they're still alive too. So, a couple of games this weekend: Buccaneers at the Panthers, set for uh, Sunday at ten a.m. And then another ten a.m. game here from the NFC South is the Falcons. Visiting the Saints. So a couple of huge matchups here. I got the Bucks defeating the Panthers. I think that's just pretty much it's obvious that's gonna happen. I think this is the opportunity that the Buccaneers need to solidify themselves to win the NFC South. But at the same time, you got you got the Falconeers and the Saints. Uh the, the Falcons, I should say the Falcons and yeah. the Saints. Um facing off. And so I think in this game, it's going to be tough because you got Derek Carr coming off, you know, a, a pretty significant game last week. How is he going to follow that up? I mean, he, quarterback competition here in this game, Taylor Heineke, I believe, is he going to play? It's probably him facing off against Derek Carr, knowing how, you know, both of their seasons have gone so far. But I think this – the Saints defense has really stood out for this team, and that's we're gonna what they're gonna have to rely on here um in this game. So I think Buccaneers and Saints pull it off here, guys. Uh DG, we'll go to you next. Who do you got? 
you on that one. I do like what the Buccaneers have going on. I feel like they're uh they're kind of one of those overlooked teams in the league right now where I mean they have a really good running back. Mike Evans, I feel like, is one of the most underrated receivers of his generation. I mean, for him to have multiple cons I mean consecutive thousand yard seasons since he's come to the league with a mix of Jameis Winston, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Baker Mayfield, and whoever else has fit into that Tom Brady. That yeah, that Tom Brady. I mean, right, right. I mean, it's been a mix of of <laughs> Hall of Famers to, I guess, former Heisman winners to to guys who um, have been kind of written off. And I mean, he, he still produces every year. Uh, when you look at a uh, uh, Baker Mayfield in the year he's having, I mean, he's kind of like a dark horse candidate for for NFL Comeback Player of the Year. Um, but I mean. So I, I do like the Bucks in, in that game against Carolina, just naturally. I mean, Carolina, just, you know, obviously the worst record in the league, not playing for much. Don't see a whole lot of motivation on that side. But uh, but the Saints as well, I mean, uh, I'll take them in that game uh, against Atlanta. I mean, like you said, Derek Carr, the game he's coming off of, I, I think that's something that he can build off of and, and uh, you know, try to uh, – Get the Saints in the win column to end the year. Yeah, bro. You go. Yeah. I think after what the Panthers did to the Falcons, there might be a little bit of holdback a couple of weeks ago in terms of playing spoiler, and that's why the Falcons are a game back at the Saints and uh, the Bucks, but I don't think the Bucks would uh, be given up to the Panthers, um, knowing what's on the line. And I think especially after the David Tepper news. Uh, last week of throwing the bottle at Jags fans or whatever it was last week. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I got the Bucks winning, uh, which would mean they would win, they would clinch the division. And then the Falcons Saints, I think I'd lean the Saints here, playing at home, playing inside the Superdome, you know, with the way that that fan base comes together, you know, whether, um, you go back to the days of, uh, post Hurricane Katrina or, you know, even when they were trying to make that push in 2018, when they had that, uh, controversial PI call go against them, against the Rams, um, in the playoffs, you saw how much those fans came together, um, in the dome. And I think that'll once again be present here this week. So I'm going to take the Bucks and the Saints. So join it. You guys as well. Um, so if the Bucks win, they clinch the division. Um, New Orleans, though, they need a win in a Tampa Bay loss in order to clinch the division. New Orleans could also clinch a playoff spot by winning, Seattle losing, and Green Bay losing. Hmm. And then the Falcons, they just need a win in a Tampa Bay loss to clinch a division. Going back to the AFC now, there's a big one on Sunday Night Football, and the schedule makers have made it this way on purpose because the winner takes the AFC number two seat. You got the Bills facing the Dolphins in Miami. So a huge game for uh, both teams here. Um, extremely tough to predict. Uh, somehow we find the Bills with 10 wins um, when it looked like they maybe weren't going to get to that point. Um, but Miami sitting at 11 and five, I mean, winner takes all here in this one, Brevin, essentially it's a huge game. Um, 
I'm going to maybe go with a surprise here, perhaps. I'm going to take the Bills here in this one. I think, you know, the, the Bills haven't looked great throughout the course of the season, but Josh Allen's a guy they've relied on. And it's not just his arm. It, it's been through him running the football, especially when they get in goal line situations. If their defense sets them up through a turnover, uh, maybe they get a big play. Um, it's been Josh Allen within, you know, the 5-10 yard line as of late. Uh, I think the big question is how can they get uh, Stefan Diggs more involved? Revan, you're definitely asking that question. But yeah, I've been asking that since like week seven. Yeah. <laughs> so the Bills with a huge opportunity here to put themselves back in the postseason and in a good spot, obviously. I'm going to take them. DG, who do you got? Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I like the Bills in this matchup. Um, it it feels like I mean if you kind of did like the Spark Notes version of the NFL season, you would think that this Bills Dolphins matchup like wouldn't be as exciting as it actually is. Um, just because like the tone of the Bills season hasn't been, uh, you know it, it's it, it like you said there was a point where we didn't think they'd get to ten wins. Yeah. Um, and there was a point in this year with the Dolphins where you thought they were going to blow away past ten wins. Um. And uh, to see them come into the end of the year with, you know, a win in uh, whoever wins gets the division uh, Sunday night matchup. Um, I, I like Josh Allen. He's had success in his career against Miami. He's played well in in Miami. I mean, it's funny. It seems like the only time where you really question uh, how he's going to play in the weather is at home in Buffalo in the snow. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I, I think uh, – uh, him, I think James Cook is a. I mean, I know we talked about Dalvin Cook earlier, but I think James Cook is having a great year. Uh, can obviously be a factor in this one. Um, I I, I think it, it comes down to obviously one, how do the Bills uh, shut down Tyree Kill, and two, um, just see what that Bills pass rush can do to uh, to get to Tua. I th- I think those are going to be a couple of the key factors in this one. Absolutely. Yeah, when I look at this game. Yeah, Kyle, you mentioned it is. How can Josh Allen get his receivers involved? He's only thrown over 200 yards in two of the last four games. I'd say all four of those games that they've won, obviously. Um, two, you know, the passing game script wasn't, wasn't always there, obviously, especially when you think about that win against Dallas, where it was the James Cook show, um, all night long in that big win. You think about, the week before that, beating Kansas City on the road um, as well. And that comes after losing a tight win to Philly. Um, you know, all those come into play. And um, you think about just how well that he's played, um, not just with his arms, but with his legs, having two, four, six touchdowns, two, four, six rushing touchdowns, six rushing touchdowns in the last four games, eight in his last five games. Um, if you count that Philly game and, you know, that's been, I think, so key as of late is him getting Josh Allen, getting a rushing volume that's helped when he doesn't really need to pass the ball. But I think in order to get to where they want to get to, get back to an AFC championship game at least, you got to be able to find Stephon Diggs or you got to be able to find Gabe Davis. You got to find that number one receiver to go for 100 plus, 120 plus yards. Um through the air, but I think I got the I got the surging bills here. 
Um, you know, when you think about Miami, yeah, they got that big win over Dallas, but how many other how many other quality wins do they have on their schedule? It's not that very many. So I got the Bills here um, securing the division as well as um, winning this final game of the regular season. Yeah, so we literally all agree with each other here. Yeah. Texans, Jaguars, Bucks, Saints, Bills. That's who we uh-huh. got. So we should all play some parlay with those teams. Yes. If the Bills lose, though, they could still clinch a playoff spot if they tie, or if the uh, Steelers lose or tie, if the Jags lose or tie, or if that Houston Indy games ends in a tie. Mm-hmm. So one of those four ways they could still clinch a playoff spot, even with a, um, a loss or tie um, Sunday night. But even then, the Bills will know where where they got what they got to do. Um, Going into Sunday Night Football. Absolutely. They need a win regardless. So, yeah. Um, we'll, we'll definitely keep following that next week. Break down more playoff scenarios. I mean, that pretty much pretty – I mean, it runs it down right there for the most part. Uh, breaking down the most competitive divisions that we have right now in the NFL, like I said. Uh, adjusting the schedule this week to make it watchable on every level. So, yeah, it should it should be a great weekend. All right, let's move on down to some fantasy. And uh, I was in the championship as uh, we've been uh, kind of following our progress uh, throughout the year. Um, Thought my team had enough to pull it off, and uh, the juice was lost. Uh, I lost to Jason Freund, who also is a great friend of our show here, uh, 134 to 113. And... uh, Less than ideal result, guys, uh, to to the end of my season, uh, finishing second place. But you know what? Grateful I I even made it this far to begin with. And also, it was a great lead. Enjoyed it uh, facing you guys over the course of the year, talking about it with you guys as well. And DG, props to you, our our valued commissioner, once again. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, it it, uh... Funny, we have three of the four finalists here, the champion absent. I mean, because Brevin and I, uh, I got third. Brevin finished in fourth place. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it was a great, exciting year. I, I felt like, uh, man, at least for me. I mean, this, I last year I finished in dead last place. This year I had the best record in the regular season, eleven yeah. game, eleven win season. I, I felt like my team was there too. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, mo- most of my roster stayed the same for the year. Um, hit hit it big with some uh, uh, sleeper draft picks. Michael Pittman Jr. was very big for yep. me down the stretch. Uh, Brock Purdy played very well for me. Um, Debo Samuel when he came back from injury was 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 a lock every week in that that wide receiver two spot. I mean, I you know Tyreek Hill was a wise first round draft pick. Yeah. Yep. Um. Made some made some good waiver wire ads with uh, the likes of like Kyron Williams, uh, Dalton Kincaid, who was good for like that like like middle stretch of the year before he tapered off. But obviously, Jason Jason's team really just locked my guys up in in the, that semifinal game. Yeah, um, and I felt like overall it was a good year. Uh, really looking forward to to all of us running it back next year. Sure. Um, so it should be fun. It's a great tradition that we have for, 
for us daily Aztec alum, for us to stay connected and, uh, you know, have some banter when it comes to fantasy football. Um, it's one of my favorite traditions, uh, you know, every year. Absolutely. Yeah, Brevin, what did you think about your season and just our, just our lay as a whole? Yeah, well, for me, I felt like I kind of felt like I was playing from a comeback mentality from just uh draft day picking 10th overall and so i was just like all right what am i going to do in order to try and move up and get into the top six and obviously starting one in four or one in three doesn't help either but then you just start to see saquon barkley click and then he gets hurt and so um you know luckily at that point stefan Diggs is going we saw glimpses of Jamar Gibbs before we started to see him go. And then uh, Mark Andrews was playing like a tight, one of the top tight ends before he got hurt. And then obviously we make that trade to get Tony Pollard and Chris Olave and then make that trade with Kyle um, to get a second Buffalo Bill and James Cook. Obviously was that big difference in getting that quarterfinal win over Andrew Finley. Um, that stands out. Uh might have been a little risky taking Trevor Lawrence as I think the QB six off the board. Um where I could have taken like a Justin Fields in the fifth round or in the sixth round, but um yeah, I think it was still just a great year. Uh we mentioned Isaiah Pacheco earlier in our show, took him in the eighth round. That's probably one of those middle round picks that I take away from the most this year. Yeah. Um but yeah, overall just a really um great season that we had thank you to dg as our commissioner once again is uh can't wait to run it back here um 2024 yeah it's gonna be exciting i already have one one league member who already paid in advance because he's so excited to to play next year was it that he for that he didn't think he paid his dues earlier in the year so he's just doing it now no 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 he (laughs) made, made it a point that he okay double the fee and said that's for next year i'm signing up Wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> oh man. That that's just the competitiveness right there that we that we all share. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. We gotta we gotta somehow come up with the uh like I thought about maybe trying to find like a trophy, but then we'd all have to like ship it around and that it would probably get you know, banged up. Uh, but yeah, but it's a it's a great tradition that we have and and uh yeah, it's one of my favorite things that yeah, I, I look forward to it every year. Absolutely. All right, we're going to take a good quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk some MLB, break down the latest news, transactions, and rumors that we've had over the course of the past week. Then we're going to just wrap it up with a quick trivia. We got Brevin and DG working together. We'll have that later. everyone and welcome back to Down the Line. I'm Brevin Hona, joined alongside Kyle Betts along with our guest this week, Daniel Guerrero. We are back here, episode 134. We talked in the first half about all football, um, from fantasy football to the NFL. 
um, as well as we got into our Fast Five, talking some golf with the century going on in Kapalua at the Plantation Course. We gave an update on that. Not much has changed since, uh, other than uh, Tyro Hatton and Brandon Hodd taking the lead at 15 under par. So you see that uh, the leaders continuing to rise here on a pretty easy course at Kapalua in Hawaii. Um, but now we're going to talk some baseball and we kick things off with a rather strange move uh, last week on the 29th. And that was the Red Sox signing Lucas Giolito to a two-year, $3.5 million deal with an opt-out after next year. This comes after he spent with th- he spent time with three teams last year, and with two of those teams had an ERA above six and a half. Yeah, um, I, I really I, I don't have words for this deal. Uh, <laughs> it, it's hard to believe. It's hard to imagine, and, it, and it's hard to believe it's actually true. Um, Thirty-eight and a half million dollars, like you said, Brevin. Uh, of course, it's incredibly substantial, but. Um, yeah, uh, DG, I guess you could say that, I mean, I don't know about this one, Chief, but (laughs) interesting call. It's, it's not so much like, I mean, Lucas Giolito, I think fits that mold of the bounce back, like the buy low, low risk bounce back kind of guy that you can bank on if you're a team looking for starting pitching. I mean, I, I even thought, I mean at least just from kind of where the Cardinals needed to go in free agency, that this is a guy that, you know, maybe they, if for the right deal, they'd take a flyer on uh, based off of his uh, past success with the White Sox. I mean, before this year, you look at 2022, I mean, even with the down year in 2022, but if you go back to, you know, his, let's say his all-star season in 2019, um, three, I mean, or even just in general, I mean, since 2020, or, since 2019, I mean, he's had a few seasons above 170 innings pitched. Uh, you know, he's been an all-star. He's uh, He's been a quality starting pitcher, I mean, apart from uh, kind of the past couple of years. But, I mean, when you look at the size of that deal uh, and you look at the guaranteed money he's getting for kind of being – from bouncing around for three different clubs this past year and never really finding his footing at any at any spot – um, I, I think it's shocking. I think it's kind of like that sticker shock to see what starting pitching cost, especially for a guy who, uh, really you didn't, you didn't think he was going to attract a bunch of interest just because of, uh, uh, just his inconsistencies. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's Lucas Giolito, I, I think is a guy who, like I said, could, could be a breakout or bounce back kind of guy. But I mean, for that price tag, it's, it's uh it 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 is kind of appalling just to see, you know, the guaranteed money a guy's gonna get uh after kind of what he's been through the last couple of years. Yeah, kind of going off of that note then, DG, how much is that kind of because of this deal kind of set back the starting pitching free agent market because of this big of a deal, especially when you think about some of the big names that are still on the market, when you think about a Blake Snell who might have could have taken twenty five, but when you look Look at this deal, it's only six million less a year, right. where it now could be looking at 30, 35, 40. That's a good point, Brevin. I mean, because like Blake Snell is a perfect example, right? Where the guy is coming off his second Cy Young winning season. Um, 
and he's looking for that big deal, you know, and, and you see the figure that Lucas Giolito gets and you think, hey, like, I just won this and I'll Cy Young, like, what? Like, I mean, like, I got I got to get mine too. I mean, and, 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 it, and it trickles down from there, like you said. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can even look at, like, Jordan Montgomery, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. This guy has a terrific second half of the season uh, with Texas after he was traded from St. Louis. Uh, just dazzles on, on the playoff stage and and he's still a free agent at this point and and uh yeah, I mean even same thing with Marcus Stroman, where a guy who's oh. coming off an all star season where you look at Lucas Giolito's deal and obviously it's it's a benefit to them because Lucas Giolito bumps that market. Um it, I, th- I think a lot of it falls kind of on the the owners and front offices of being hesitant to spend. But yeah, this definitely influences the market and um and seeing just kind of what that baseline is for you know somebody who's a bounce back candidate versus somebody who's coming off of uh, their best year of their career with somebody like Blake Snell and and even like Jordan Montgomery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to see how this deal um, affects the other pitchers uh, in the market. All right, we continue on to Saturday, and we still talk about the Boston Red Sox because. You would think then, all right, you get Lucas Giolito and you get Chris Sale, um, a part of that rotation. And that actually does not happen because the following day, on the 30th, the Braves acquired Chris Sale from the Red Sox for infield prospect Von Grisham and Cash. Yeah, Chris Sale, I mean, like, I remember putting on our group chat, like, he's one of those guys. Or, well, it's not one of those guys. I mean, he had seven consecutive All-Star seasons. Yep. Uh, could have made a case for a Cy Young win at some point there. Uh, but when you look at the last, what, three years and injury setbacks, COVID, uh, obviously uh, some frustrations with him destroying that TV uh, down in the, on the Sox farm system for a rehab appearance. Um, but you look at the ceiling that he has and and kind of where he's at. I mean, yes, he's getting a little bit older, but... Uh, it's still, I mean, it's, it's a guy who's a Cy Young caliber pitcher, hasn't won it yet. Um, obviously if he bounces back can can make a case for that, it'll be tough in the national league. Uh, obviously with, with kind of that, that gauntlet of, of lineups you'll have to face in the NL East. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, th- th- I think this is a necessary move for the Braves when you look at what the Dodgers have done and you look at the billion dollars that they've spent and how they've added in free agency uh you know you need to go out and get starting pitching and this is chris sale is probably comes off as a shock because you might not have known where he's been the last three years but i mean if you get him back to being the chris sale that you know closed out the world series in 2018 a caliber a guy of that caliber i mean that's a great one-two punch with max freed and chris sale atop that rotation uh i mean if, if you can get that um, but yeah, I mean, Chris, I mean, it's, it was a necessary move for the Braves to make. I mean, just given, uh, how teams are bolstering the starting rotation, uh, especially in the national league. Mm-hmm. Chris Sale from 2012 to 2018 mentioned, you mentioned those seven all-stars was among the top six in signing voting. All seven of those years, including had a top 10 MVP finish in 2017 as well. Kyle, what was your takeaway? Uh, from this Chris Sale deal. Yeah, I mean, main takeaway was probably just that Braves rotation like DG was talking about and how that has just improved greatly through this deal, I think. You know, just 
being able to give up what they did. Um, they can afford that, and they're establishing themselves for the long term despite you know the roster that they have. I think it's a great mix of younger guys who have already proven themselves and also veterans who have played at the highest level like Chris Hale has. So they're really building that roster up, and Chris Hale's, I think, is a good move. Um, don't really think it's a gamble because we, we expect good things out of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he still had glimpses last year where he was picking, like, the Chris Hill before the injury, you know, when he'd go seven innings, like, for example, April 30th against Cleveland, uh, six and a third, just giving up one run, um, six innings, one earned 10 Ks against the Blue Jays in September. So you saw how the capability of Chris Hill still pitching at a high level um, in this game. I do think there's a benefit to like not having to be like the guy, right? Yep. Chris Sale can be the guy, but like, you go into a situation where you're not immediately slotted as an opening day starter. Um, you're not immediately looked on as the guy who's going to start game one. And I think that takes a little bit of pressure off of you. Uh, obviously with, I, as somebody who's eyeing that bounce back for Chris Sale, I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's a good environment to be in. You're with the, you're going to have a good lineup providing run support for you. So, I mean, I, I think it, it could be a, a deal that we look back on and say, like, man, this was something the Braves kind of caught everybody off, off guard with, but it paid off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to talk about Chris Sale once again in a little bit. But then later that day, we saw that the uh, the Reds go into the free agent pitching market, and they signed right-handed pitcher Frankie Montas to a one-year deal worth $60 million. Gigi, what was your takeaway from that deal, especially with Frankie Montas not pitching kind of up to expectation in 2023? Yeah, I mean, he limited by injury. I mean, very limited by injuries. Um, I think he only pitched in one game, obviously, that not up to expectation with where he wants to be and where, you know, Frankie Montas, where we thought he could be, right? I mean, think back a couple of years ago where he was one of the top uh, trade acquisition candidates, you know, the A's, everybody knew the A's were not going to hold on to him in typical A's fashion under uh, John Fisher. We're not going to hold on to a guy who could be, you know, a, a, like an all-star caliber pitcher. Um, And obviously he goes to New York and struggles there with his health um, and signs a one-year deal worth a lot of money with Cincinnati. Um, I, I think Cincinnati can be kind of a sleeper team in the NL Central next year. Uh, they have a couple of good young starters as well. I think Hunter Green is one that that comes to mind. Uh, obviously, they have the all those insanely fast middle infielders with uh, Ellie De La Cruz and and uh, Matt McLean. Um, but yeah, but I mean, I I think it's also one of those candidates who have somebody who can bounce back. But I mean, again, I think it goes back to the same point with Lucas Giolito with uh just the, the price tag that comes with that for a guy who really didn't pitch at all last year um, in Frankie Montas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Last year, Luke, or uh, last year, Frankie Montas pitched one game last year, went inning in a third with two hits and a walk facing seven hitters and get $60 million. Kyle, what was your reaction hearing about Frankie Montas and this new deal? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of similar to Chris Sale. I mean, obviously he is younger and, and you know, I, I think at the same time they're at different points in their careers, but still I think Montas a pitcher with 
so much potential. He didn't live up to expectations in New York, but sometimes a change in scenery is all, all a person needs and especially a pitcher at times. And so hopefully it pays off for him because the potential is still there. Uh, just 30 years old. And uh, I think, you know, the Reds are still trying to buy guys to, to compete for the roster and, and complete compete for those playoffs because man, they looked pretty good last season. So they got to continue to build. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Frankie Montez trying to have that year. Like you had in 2021, that was that big year when he finished sixth in the Cy Young went 13 and nine in 32 starts that led the American league and through over 180 innings. All right, then we go to Tuesday, so no moves were made on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, so we can go into the new year. The Padres, after signing Yuki Matsui, go back into the relief pitcher pool. Overseas, go sign Go from the KBO, and that deal officially became official the following day on the 3rd, so on Wednesday. That deal is two years, $4.5 million, a mutual option, for 2026. Kyle, what was your reaction to hearing about the process of this deal eventually be completed? Yeah, I think most people were surprised at how cheap this deal actually was at the end of the day and the great value that he provides to this bullpen, um, especially when you guys got like when you got guys like Josh Hader, uh, Nick Martinez, uh, Luis Garcia as well. You, I mean, you don't know if any of those guys, um, I mean, they're, they're all pretty much in the free agent market and there's no return for them. So you see the Padres go out, they add a pair of lefties, I think that are going to add to the back end of this bullpen. Revan, what, what do you think the, the value of this means to the pod, to the Padres? Yeah, I think in years past, you think about having that seven, eight, nine, you know, whether it was, um, you know, guys like Austin Adams, Heath Bell, Trevor Hoffman, um, in the late 2000s to, you know, Luke Gregerson, um, Deeth Bell, and having Akinodi Otsuka, I feel like you kind of have that 789 in play. But at this point in January, you don't necessarily have that order of what that's going to be because of the capability of both uh, Go, uh, Matsui, and Robert Suarez. You know, and I think I wouldn't be surprised early on if you see Suarez as the closer. So you got go and Matsui to adjust, especially to the pitch clock that we've got set in 2024 because they didn't have that in the KBO nor the MPB. But I think having that capability of those pitchers goes a long way. I mean, we talked about the closing uh, stuff that Yuki Matsui has. It's the same thing with Wusta Go and, um, you know, just adding that growing the game aspect to this Padres team in addition to Hassan and Kim yeah. um, on this roster. So, DG, you've got Go, who fits in well with this team because with the LG Twins in seven seasons, 3.18 ERA, 139 saves, 401 strikeouts, and 368 in one-third innings. And I mean, and it's a KBO too. I mean, it's uh, it, there there is some quality in that league. We've seen guys, uh, obviously Hassan Kim being one of the most recent ones, come in to play baseball stateside uh, from foreign league and and immediately adapt. Uh, Wusuk Go, I I think is is a, especially for the price point, man. 
I mean, you look at his success there, uh, coming over uh, to the Padres on that deal. I mean, it's a very team-friendly deal, low risk, uh, really, really high, uh, high reward type deal. And then you pair that, like you said, with Yuki Matsui. Like Brevin said, I mean, when you look at the bullpen and you look at that seventh, eighth, ninth innings, um, I mean, you, you need depth in a bullpen. I mean, it's 162 games that you're tasked to play. Um, I mean, uh, obviously, got, there are guys out there who, you know, can go three, four times a week. But, I mean, to get through an entire season uh, with your guys healthy, with them uh, firing on all cylinders, I you, you need that depth in that bullpen. Uh, I think the Padres added a couple of quality arms. Uh, well, I'm, I'm excited to watch play stateside. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and not just quality arms, but quality high leverage arms. I mean, seeing both of their success in, in closing roles in their respective leagues. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Yuki Matsui, Wusuko, or a couple of, uh, uh, lower key pickups for the Padres, but ones that are, uh, pretty necessary, especially with, uh, just kind of how, how bullpens go and how valuable, uh, those late inning guys are. All right. So then we get to Thursday. Um, first, let's come back to Chris Sale because the Braves not only traded for him, but they also extended Chris Sale to a two-year $38 million deal with an $18 million club option for 2026. So uh, basically a similar deal to Lucas Giolito in terms of a sign-in trade or sign-in trade and extension. Yeah, DG, what do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, they're... Obviously, they're not just banking on a one-year rebound from Chris Sale. I think it's a smart move to uh, – smart and really, I mean, in a way, a safe move to uh, to kind of lock up that, that extra year with him. Um, just because, I mean, hey, if this guy really does bounce back yeah. and becomes – I mean, and even if he doesn't become, you know, 2017 to 2019 Chris Sale, uh, but if you get somebody who's, you know, above league average will fit – squarely like in the middle of your rotation you know be that really good third starter and uh you know won't dazzle every game but has that has that ceiling to do so um especially like we talked about when you look at what the price goes for a starting pitcher who pitched in one game last year and a starting pitcher who bounced around from three teams I mean this is a a deal that could be very team friendly if if Chris Sale really sticks it out uh for you know the next couple years and returns to form yeah all right, then we also get the New York Mets remaining in that division. The New York Mets signing former Cardinal and former Yankee Harrison Bader to a one-year $10.5 million deal as a former Cardinal DG. How do you uh, react to this deal? Yeah, I mean, Harrison Bader, he's all, he's a fan favorite. It seems like wherever he goes, um, obviously Cardinal Cardinals fans loved him. Uh, seemed like he was a, a pretty big uh, – instantly with his postseason heroics – became a, fa uh, a fan favorite with Yankees fans. Um, but when you look at Harrison Bader, um, he's a gold glove winner, obviously. Uh, and you look at the uh, just consistency he provides in center field. I mean, a true center fielder. Uh, I remember, I, I wish I had him on hand, but uh, I saw somebody uh, uh, from MLB.com post kind of a uh, stat casting where Harrison Bader, I think since maybe 2019, uh, is one of the leaders or is the leader in outs above average by a pretty noticeable margin. Um, so, I mean, when you look at the advanced stats, when you look at the eye test, when it comes to how he plays center field, 
I mean, uh, this is a move for the Mets who, uh, uh, you know, we're looking to bounce back as well, but you look at this and you find stability in the outfield. You kind of bank on his bat showing up. Uh, that's, that's really the one question mark with Harrison Bader. Um, I, I think, I mean, he's somebody who's from New York. He's uh, I, I think he has a chance to, to really thrive in that environment. Um, and really, I mean, thrive out in center field and provide stability on defense for the Mets. Mm-hmm. Kyle, what was your reaction to seeing the 2021 Gold Glover um, pick up a deal um, and play in the Big Apple? Yeah, I think it's a good value deal here for the Mets, still trying to build their own lineup. And this is a good opportunity for them to continue to do so. A, a guy who provides plenty of experience, um, a great professional like DG was talking about and um, I, I think, you know, signing him for that value is is pretty good for both parties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so let me get to oh, one more deal here for Thursday. The White Sox uh, reportedly signed outfielder Brett Phillips to a deal, so he gets locked up in the Windy City now. Um, obviously, we've one of the funniest players in Major League Baseball gets goes to Chicago where he can hopefully – have a backup outfield spot or even a starting outfield role, you know, and probably one of the corner outfield spots. And Kyle, what was your action hearing about Brett Phillips? Yeah, didn't hear about it until I read this rundown earlier. And, um, yeah, he joins another roster now. What is this, his, like, 16 or something like that? Something like that, yeah, I can check. Yeah, he's been on several teams now, but – um I agree with you, Brevin. Hopefully he does get a shot there and is able to prove himself and continue to build his career. A DG, do you have any reaction to this? Uh, well, I mean, like you said, when he's uh, bounced around from a few different teams, seems like he's also, I know we talked about Harrison Bader being a fan favorite. Seems like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, wherever uh, uh, Brett Phillips goes, he kind of instantly uh, becomes beloved by his teammates and fans and media. Um but yeah, I mean, he it's another guy who kind of has a couple of uh, likable qualities when it comes to a player. I mean, you look at the speed, you look at his ability to play the outfield, and uh, certainly has a chance to stick it out, uh, you know, after having to bounce around this past year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was in Anaheim, also got stopped in Baltimore, Tampa Bay, Kansas City, um, before making his major league debut in Milwaukee in 2017. And uh, I also have a – I found the stat that I was referencing Harrison Bader just for mm-hmm. uh, for clarity. Uh, according to Mike Petriello, a researcher at MLB.com, since 28 – from 2018 to 2023, Harrison Bader has 66 outs above average among primaries – or at center field, uh, 59 runs prevented. Both of them lead all qualified center fielders in that time span. So, I mean, when healthy, again, uh, it's a guy who plays solid defense. Yeah. I just wanted to clarify, I mean, the what I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. There you go. That is on Harrison Bader. Then we get to pretty much today's news. And we kick things off in the Pacific Northwest. The uh, Seattle Mariners acquiring Anthony Z. Scalfani and Mitch Hanniger from San Francisco for Robbie Ray on this one. So obviously this took a while because of... The money aspect that comes into play with this, the you no know, trade clause, the uh, the contract situations among all three players. Kyle, what was your takeaway from hearing uh, Mitch Hanniger returning to uh, Pacific Northwest for Robbie Ray? 
Yeah, kind of hard to imagine that's actually happening, but he, he's back, and I, I think he fits in there well. He's always been a really good performer, uh, whether that's in the outfield. He's been consistent there. Uh, also at the plate, uh, always been a good uh, all-around hitter for the most part. Um, guy who brings some power as well. And I, I think Dee Sclafani, also a guy who has proven himself at, at a high level as well, um, especially uh, like, like we've seen him in the past couple seasons with the Giants. And, yeah, Robbie Ray, we've seen him, former Cy Young, and uh, we're going to see if he's able to kind of uh, reinvent himself in uh, San Francisco and hopefully in the Bay Area he's able to find his groove again and become one of the top pitchers in the league. Yeah, Daniel, what was your reaction to hearing about this uh, this deal that took place among two West Coast teams? Uh, you know, it kind of has the same feel of that Braves deal where you, a team in the National League is going out to get starting pitching to, to you know, to kind of match up with all the other moves that, um, not just the Dodgers, but obviously the moves that the Phillies have made, like retaining Aranola. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of an arms race. I mean, when, when you look at it in that aspect, uh, but yeah, Robbie Ray is, you know, we didn't see a whole lot of him last year. He's coming off injury, uh, reportedly won't be back, uh, or won't be able to make his, uh, Giants debut until after the all-star break, or at least until mm-hmm. mid season because of, uh, uh, the rehab process. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously it's, it's somebody who really cashed in on a career year when he won the Cy Young in 2021, uh, you know, I think he had a decent 2022, obviously not on the same level as that career year. And uh, as obviously change of scenery could could be beneficial to him uh, pitching in a, in a more hitter-friendly ballpark as well. I mean, Seattle is pretty hitter-friendly just obviously because of the cold weather up there. Um, I guess the only hitter it's not friendly to is Mike Trout. It seems like anytime he plays up there, uh, you know, just terrorizes the Mariners, but... But yeah, I mean, I I think it's a solid move by the Giants. Uh, something I think also just kind of much needed for the tone of the team. When you look at the past couple of off seasons, right? They've swung and missed on, you know, Aaron Judge and Carlos Correa, uh, Shohei Otani, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, um, just kind of this laundry list of of uh, of top free agent, uh, top free agents that they've uh, pursued but just have not been able to to sign in San Francisco. So, I mean, Robbie Ray going there, somebody who's had a good run in the majors has had success. Uh, obviously we'll, we'll be pitching behind Logan Webb, who I, I think is one of the, the rising stars in this league. Uh, we just finished third in Cy Young, NL Cy Young voting as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, I, I think it's a good, it's a good change. We'll see if the giants make any other moves to uh, shore up, uh, you know, that the hole in the rotation, uh, you know, because they're going to need somebody in that first half to to take those starts, and and obviously if they can go out and get one of the other top remaining free agent starters, uh, then you're looking at a pretty solid one two three punch. Uh, once Robbie Ray's back, if you know you get Logan Webb, free agent X, and then you know Robbie Ray in the, in that mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when it comes to the contract situation, Jeff Patson from ESPN summarizing it all all down, Robbie Ray. Being owed $73 million over his final three years of his contract. Does have an opt-out after next season. Um, Obviously, that's coming off the Tommy John surgery, as Daniel mentioned. Mitch Hanniger has 
Two years and $32.5 million left on his deal. Also with an opt-out after next season. And Di Scafani is in the final year of his contract. And his $12 million remaining, both Mitch Hanger and Robbie Ray, each receive a million dollars in assignment bonus for being traded. Um, the Giants are going to send $6 million instead of the reported $3 million in uh, to make this a cash-neutral deal for next year. Um, with Robbie Ray being due $23 million this year, and Mitch Haniger and Anthony DiScafani combining for $29 million. So that's the financial impact within this deal. And then Seattle goes out and makes another move. Uh, I think this has not been announced by the teams, but is close to being completed, where the M's are acquiring outfielder Luke Rayleigh. From Tampa Bay for infielder Jose Caballero. Cowboys are actually hearing about um, Seattle getting more outfield depth on top of Mitch Hanier. Yeah, that's big. And they continue to sack their lineup. And they want to compete to be a serious playoff team. They're, they're adding some good bats to do it. Some guys who can play some good defense as well. DG, what do you think about this move too? Uh, I've kind of heard this saying with uh, teams that trade with the Rays, you kind of have to keep an eye on who the Rays are acquiring. Obviously, they're huge on scouting and player development. Um, I, I know uh, just looking at the rundown, we'll uh, be able to bring that up in a little bit as well. But um, obviously, I mean, out, outfield, I mean, Mariners are acquiring more outfield depth. Uh, the Rays, a little bit more infield depth with Jose Caballero. Obviously, their uh, shortstop equation was became a a uh, huge, huge issue with obviously off-field stuff with with uh with uh Wonder Franco and and kind of his uh I guess downfall um and uh legal uh issues. Um but yeah I mean obviously the Rays are adding to that infield depth as well. Um obviously they got Junior Camonero who's uh a rising prospect and, and is somebody who We'll probably see in the bigs next year. I mean, he made a, a his big league debut this past year, um, and uh, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, I, it's one of those trades that I mean, who knows? We might look back and see the Rays acquiring uh, an infield pro, an infielder uh, for you know a kind of a fourth outfielder in Luke Rayleigh and and them turning that infielder into a, a pretty you know uh, quality major league player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also uh, happened today, the Colorado Rockies announced the signings of uh, former Cardinal right-handed pitcher Dakota Hudson and catcher Jacob Stallings uh, to one-year deals. DG, would you reaction, especially with Dakota Hudson being that former Cardinal? Yeah, I mean, Dakota Hudson uh, was a first-round pick in uh, 2016, no, 2018 uh, for the Cardinals. uh, And... uh, he had a really solid rookie year. I mean, he uh, received Cy Young votes. Uh, that, sorry, 2016. Uh, but yeah, he had a really solid rookie year. Uh, I mean, for people who love uh, traditional stats, um, you know, 16 game winner that that 2019 season. Yeah. Uh, just but just he's one of those guys when you look at kind of the way baseball is going, and you look at the search for swing and miss. You look at. Uh, that, that you know necessity to to have a high velocity and to be able to to strike out guys he's not that guy i mean he struggles with walking guys he uh 
is more of a sinker ball pitcher. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how he operates at Coors Field. That is not a not a pitcher-friendly ballpark. Um, he's somebody who relies on getting the ball on the ground. So, uh, to see him go to the Rockies, obviously, it's a, it's a good opportunity for him after he was non-tendered this offseason. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, yeah I, I think it might be a little bit tough to ask just uh, with the way his, his makeup is as a pitcher um, and just kind of the – the uh the tendencies of that ballpark mm-hmm. Kyle Jacob Stallings provides some catching depth to this Rockies team um you know behind Elias Diaz who was the all-star game MVP this past season what's your reaction to seeing um these two settings go down yeah I think this is good for the Rockies still trying to build that lineup up and this allows them to continue to do so uh Jacob Stallings like you mentioned uh, a catcher with plenty of uh, experience, 34 years old, um, gold glove winner back in 2021 uh, when he was a member of the Pirates and also coming off a couple seasons with the Miami Marlins. Um, he's looking forward to seeing more time here with the Rockies. And especially when you mentioned uh, Elias Diaz, I think this is huge uh, because I think both these guys are going to see some time. Mm, yeah. All right, then we get to one more trade. This happened uh, about an hour ago. Uh, this has been reported um, that the Cardinals acquired right-handed pitcher Andrew Kittridge from Tampa Bay for outfielder Richie Palacio, so outing to most likely the back end of their bullpen. Daniel, what was your reaction to hearing about uh, this move like we uh, talked about kind of a little bit earlier? Yeah, I mean, it's it felt like a surprise, but not a surprise at the same time. Um, surprise in the sense that uh, uh, Richie Palacios is dealt. I mean, he was required for cash uh, from Cleveland last year and uh, spent a lot of, spent the first portion of his time with the Cardinals uh, with the AAA club and then got called up and uh, was used in a lot of different ways. I mean, he played a lot of the corner outfields, played a little bit of center, played second base even, um, swung it from the left side and he had his moments of consistency. Uh, and it really felt like uh, uh, Cardinals manager Ali Marmol was really getting a liking to Palacios and not just what he offered, but also his play style. He's one of those guys who, uh, you know, hustles up and down the line and, you know, is going to do whatever it takes to get that ball in the gap and, and uh, you know, he's going to work the counts and, you know, grind out at bats. And it really felt like he uh, had made a case for uh, kind of a getting a, a look this year in spring, which which would have been the case. I mean, he would – Definitely would have had a shot to, to you know maybe be the fourth outfielder in, in the Cardinals uh, opening day roster, but um, obviously is dealt to Tampa Bay. And like I said, I mean keep an eye out for the guys that Tampa Bay acquires because uh, they you know that factory that they have to produce uh, and and not not just develop prospects but develop guys who have already been in the majors. Uh, they've been successful in that way. Uh, where it wasn't a surprise uh, with the Cardinals getting Andrew Kittridge. Uh, you know, they've been looking to add some more depth to their bullpen. That was on top of a lot of the problems with starting pitching and inconsistent offense. The Their ability to hold games and hold games late was was uh, one of the things that plagued them last year. Uh, Kit Ridge is obviously coming off of injury and, and pitched a little bit last year. But, I mean, he's an all-star pitcher. I mean, since uh, when you look at what he's done since that, yeah, that all-star year, even when you look at the pandemic shortened season uh in 2020 i mean 226 era 
in uh, a 24, uh, 96 games played, 104 strikeouts, a 178 ERA plus, which obviously as, as a reliever is a little bit more inflated because of uh, the amount of innings you pitched. Um, but yeah, I mean, a, a, a whip below one in that time, it's uh, the Cardinals are looking for swing and miss, and they got a guy who, uh, if he's healthy, I mean, can provide that from the bullpen and be a part of that mix with Ryan Helsley and Giovanni Gallegos and Jojo Romero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's pretty much all of the moves that we're going to get to today. Before we do get to trivia, one more question, DG. Um, I know this was a few weeks ago, but what are your thoughts about the Cardinals getting out in front of the starting pitching market, signing players uh, like a Sonny Gray? You know, it felt like something the Cardinals could do, and obviously it came to fruition just to jump the market uh, and sign before the winter meetings. I mean, they made two mm-hmm. deals with with Cal Gibson and Lance Lynn uh, during that week of Thanksgiving. Uh, I, 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 it, it's one of those things where they addressed what they needed. They needed starting pitching. Uh, John Mosaic, the president of baseball operations, had said that pitching, pitching, pitching was the forefront of what they needed to do at the trade deadline and what they needed to do in the offseason. They knew they needed to go out and get three uh, major league-ready starting pitchers. Sonny Gray, obviously second in AL Cy Young voting, has been an all-star before, um, you know, uh, burst out onto the scene with Oakland, pitched a little bit in, in New York where, you know, didn't have as much success. Uh, but then, you know, he finds it again in Cincinnati, does it again in Minnesota. Um, and, uh, you know, finally has that, re- that, that, uh, that deal with, with the Cardinals. He's somebody who had, I had been a Cardinal for a long time. Cardinals have eyed him even coming out of Vanderbilt and, uh, you know, gets the deal done after one of his best years of his career. Um, and is somebody who, uh, man, I mean, I, I know it's January f- uh, 5th right now, but um, you could look at this guy as a Cardinals potential opening day starter with with what he offers, uh, with obviously um, the success he's coming off of. Um, Lance Lynn and Cal Gibson are a little bit different in the sense that, you know, Lance Lynn and, and, and Cal Gibson are kind of both guys who are going to eat a lot of innings and, and kind of have that, that basis of they've had success at the majors. Um, obviously a reunion for Lance Lane could work wonders for him pitching in that ball in Bush stadium. Uh, he's a guy who uh, obviously was susceptible to the home run ball a lot last year, but can definitely benefit from this new home ballpark that he's going to pitch in. Uh, also brings a really uh, kind of that bulldog mentality that I, I think is needed for this Cardinals team. Uh, I heard, I, I know there's like this saying about like, like there needs to be like a rusty nail and he's definitely that guy. Um, he's definitely a guy who can come in and, and uh, uh, as a veteran, somebody who's won the world series with the Cardinals before uh, somebody who's had top Cy Young finishing seasons. Obviously he was at a finished high in voting a few years ago with the White Sox. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's a guy that can, that can be a big benefit in terms of the mentality and in terms of stability for that rotation. And I'd say the same for Kyle Gibson. I mean, he's a guy who maybe doesn't jump off the page, but he's going to eat a lot of innings for you. Uh, he seems like a very good clubhouse guy. He's going to be a good leader for for a, a team that does have some uh, prospects that are kind of nearing the big league level uh, for the rotation. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with the Cardinals as this winter continues. So we got another six weeks until pitchers and catchers report. So with that, we're going to move on to trivia. Then I'll let Kyle go ahead and take it away. Yeah, uh, I'm going to share my screen, and we're going to play everyone's favorite game. Oh, here we go. 
Oh, we're gonna do I this. Feel like okay. Brevin today. Okay. Against Brevin, this is gonna be tough. You guys are gonna work together. Okay. Ooh. So, so you're not alone. Let's see. This is for um, for reference. This is baseball grid number two seventy eight of the immaculate grid. <laughs> I do have an Oriole Ranger. Okay. Uh, yeah. Vladdy Guerrero. I I mean he was yeah. an Oriole. Oh, I think. Wait, was he an Oriole? Well, if not, then we'll go Nelson Cruz. He signed a minor league deal with yeah. the Orioles. I know. I I want to say he. I want to say. Oh, we can even go <clears throat> Kyle Gibson. We just talked about Kyle Gibson. Yeah, we can go Kyle Gibson. I I think Kyle Gibson was an Oriole. I think. So, yeah, so. he just pitched in Baltimore. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and he was a ranger. He was a ranger for a couple of seasons as well. I know that. Yeah. Uh, Nelson Nelson Cruz, you forget as an Oriole too. Yeah, that's right. Like you said, we'll go Kyle Gibson. We'll we save Kyle Gibson. All yeah. right, going uh on the left side of the grid from top to bottom, we got the Orioles, Mets, and Giants, and then on the top we got the Rangers, White Sox, and Pirates from from left to right on the top. So we're gonna go Orioles and Rangers. Kyle Gibson, five percent correct. That's not too, that's See? not bad. The rarity. See, if we went Nelson Cruz, it'd been like twenty five percent. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Let's see if there's any others I can think of. I'm trying to think of a pirate and a Met. So uh, pirate and a Met. Um, I'm pretty sure there's somebody listening to us, like screaming. I, <laughs> some, dude, some dude who played in like twelve games combined for. Oh, for those two teams. I got a pirate and a Met here. Starlin Marte. Starlin Marte, yes. Oh. 13%. It's not bad. You guys. Mets, Rangers. You could do. uh, Was Bartolo Colon a Ranger at one point? He was, right? Yeah, he was. Could do Bartolo. You want to do it? Yeah. 3%. Oh, there we go. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll go Pirate Giant here. It's probably going to be like the number one answer, but Andrew McCutcheon. Oh, that, that's a good one. Oh, yeah. It's going to be like 40%. 22%. 22. Not bad. I, well, Giants, Rangers, Um, the guy who was traded midseason between teams, Benji Molina. Yep. Benji <laughs> Molina. <laughs> 5%. Oh, that's pretty good. Um, um, all right, five down, four to go. Uh, socks, socks, Orioles. Um, these are tough. Socks, like yeah, White Sox is tough. Oh, I'm trying to think of a pirate and Oriole. Like, I guess maybe think of pitchers. Or I don't know. Let's see. I feel like Edwin Jackson is one of these because he played for like 15 teams. Yeah, I think Octavia, Octavia Dotel for yeah for one of these two. Uh huh. I just don't know which combo it'll be. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Socks. Trying to think of. Oh, here we go. White Sock and a Giant. Jake Peavy. Oh, Jake Peavy. That's a good one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I have a Padre Cy Young Award winner. Jake. Jake. Oh. Jake Peavy. 
Seven percent, really? There you go. Good. Yeah. Wow. Um. Didn't right. know he was a White Sox ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was Jermaine Dye an Oriole at one point? Oh gosh, I don't remember if he was. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um. What's the name? Was Rich Hill ever a uh, an Oriole? Pirate and an Oriole. Oh, Daniel Vogelbach wasn't a White Sox, huh? Or he hasn't been. No. Adam Dunn? <laughs> Adam Dunn playing Chicago? Oh, I can't remember if he did. I think he did. One of the LaRoche brothers definitely did. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to ruin it. I feel like... Was Adam Dunn in Baltimore? I think he was. I can't remember if I'm done with Baltimore actually. Um Ooh. Oh, here we go. I got an Oreo on a pirate. Ooh. Adam Frazier. Oh yeah. Mm, that's a good one. There we go. Yep. Eleven percent. Eleven percent. Okay. Two more. White Sox? White Sox Orioles and a White Sox and a Met. Man, I can't think of any Orioles right now. Or any White Sox. Yeah, this is really tough. I'm trying to think of that White Sox and a Met. Um, White Sox and Met. Hmm. Mets? Um. I'm trying to think of like even like all time greats too. Yeah. Like I can't. Like Frank Thomas didn't play in New York. I don't think he did. I don't think he no. did. I, I know I think he was only Oakland and like Toronto. Yeah. Um <clears throat> let's see. Paul Canarco was just a White Sox. Mm-hmm. Primarily. Um, um Baltimore. Oh, Chicago. uh Mets. I, I'm pretty sure on this one. Mets, White Sox. Uh David Robertson, I think played for both. Oh, that sounds... Oh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. You want to go for it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, it. I'm pretty sure. 5%. Yes. There you go, there you go DJ. Um, all right. Nice. Orioles, White Sox. Good, good thinking. Orioles, White Sox. Did Sevi Zavala play for the Orioles at one point? I don't know. No, probably not. He's only been in. <laughs> no, not there yet. Um, I don't think Andrew Kashner was there. I don't think was Delvin Young ever a White Sox. Oh gosh. Oh, I can't remember if he was Delvin Young. Let's see. And Gordon Beckham maybe was an Oriole. I I don't think so though. I don't think Gordon Beckham was. Oh, what about AJ Przinsky? Was he an Oriole? He might have been. He he he, was, he hung around for a while too. Yeah. Matt Weeders was he a White Sox? No, probably not. No. So. Mark Trumbo was not an Oriole, or was not a White Sox. No, he wasn't a White Sox. No, because he was in Arizona and yeah. then went to Anaheim. 
James Shields probably never pitched for Baltimore, right? No. If only he did. Yeah. Manny Machado was never a White Sox. No, and J.J. Hardy wasn't a White Sox. J.J. Hardy was not a White Sox. Adam Jones was not a White Sox. No. Chris Davis, Do we... I don't think, was ever... No. See, that's why I kept thinking Adam Dunn, but... Oh, yeah. I can't remember if Adam Dunn played in Baltimore. I don't think he did. We would have known about his homers went on to Utah Street. Jeff Mathis played for both of those teams. He seems like a guy who would. I feel like it. Um, Man, I can't... You know, I mean... You know, I, I think we probably could go up to Octavio Dotel. Yeah, we probably could. That would probably be the best guess. Yeah. <laughs> Here's another thing. Uh, do you guys want a hint? Or you want to just guess it? Oh, let, let's see the hint. What Before. Wait. This player was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 2018. With the, and he played for the White Sox and the Orioles? For the White Sox and the Orioles. 2018 induction inductee. The, do you know what team he went in as, like his cap? Oh, I feel like it's too much of a giveaway. Or would that be too much of a giveaway? Maybe. Um. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yes, he, he was a left-handed left-handed hitter. Um. In 2018? Mm-hmm. That class. Um, that was the year before Hoffman. Or was that Hoffman? Left-handed hitter? Five-time All-Star. Five-time All-Star. He was Jeez. on, he was on uh, six teams. Dude, I'm blanking on that. I can't... Uh... Uh, but now I want to guess it. That 2018 <laughs> class, Hoffman, Vlad Guerrero. That's right. Like Vlad was in that class. Um, no, that wasn't Tommy. Um, oh, wait a minute. Was it Tommy? Did no. Jim Tommy play in Baltimore? You can't remember if he did or not. Left-handed hitter went into the Hall of Fame in 2018. No, dude, I can't. I can't remember that. Yeah. Um. Can I ask a question to that hint, Kyle? Yeah. Does this player have more than 600 home runs? More than 600 home runs. Yes. Oh, so it's Tommy. Yeah, it's Tommy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Forgot that he was okay. an Oriole. Wow. There you go. That's right. He was an Oriole. There you go. Oh, this is going to be like 30%. 16%. 16%. That's oh, not wow. bad. That's not bad. Let's see. What was the rarity? I, I always feel I always feel dumb when 87. I see, like the like the odd like the uh, the most popular ones and I'm like, "Oh, yeah, that's right." Homero. Nice tell Look me. Look at that, Barry Bonds. <laughs> Yeah, uh-huh. Hunter Pence, I didn't even think about oh, There was your A.J. Pruszynski in San Francisco. Oh, he was He was in San Francisco. Yeah. Hunter Pence? Crazy. 
Yep. Mike Mike Pence, Scherzer, yeah. Yeah. Robin Ventura. (laughs) Nice. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Well, Well done. Got that done quicker than I normally do. Sometimes I, uh, well, well, cause before it, or don't they reset in the morning or I forget when they reset, but there was times like, I couldn't think of one person Oh, and I was like, oh, I'll finish it later. And then like later <laughs> at night, I'll like, I'll go to bed. I'm like, oh shoot. I didn't finish the immaculate grid. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks CG for coming on as always appreciate your time appreciate all your thoughts your wisdom your experience everything that you shared with us today any final thoughts for us uh no no final thoughts other than uh, if you're listening make sure to subscribe and follow brevin and kyle uh obviously the podcast is uh probably i mean i know they talk about monday night raw as the longest running episodic tv show or whatever this <laughs> i mean the, the, the work that you guys put in each week to keep this podcast going and you know, have something fresh and relevant and interesting. Um, obviously, I mean, it's really cool. And oh, thank you guys for inviting me. Apologize for uh, some technical and background noises as there's a bit of construction going on here at home. Um, but yeah, but thanks, guys. Uh, wish every like wish everybody a you know happy new year and you know positive vibes through 2024. And uh, you know, looking forward to hopping on sometime soon again. I always have a blast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you, DG, for joining us this week. Let's see, next week we'll talk more MLB. Maybe we'll get into next week we'll talk some NBA All-Star Returns. We saw the first one come yesterday, I believe. Um, so maybe we'll talk NBA All-Star Returns either this this week's or if they come out with another one next week. Um, definitely talk NFL Wild Card Weekend. Maybe recap Week 18 of the NFL season, how much that affects wild card weekend we'll talk um yeah so many things we can talk college hoops next week the start of conference play has begun earlier this week um mm-hmm. yeah six play unlv tomorrow Break afternoon them. Them, cowards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so many things going on as we approach new year obviously national championship game on monday night between michigan and Washington, which we'll go over next week in episode number 135. So with that, that's going to kick, that's going to cap off this week's show. We thank DG for joining us this week. For Kyle Betts, I'm Brando. We thank you for listening to another episode of Downline, and we hope you tune in next week.